Mediatrix Radio presents Pathways to Rome, a weekly hour-long journey that brings Rome home for you. Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Gus Kilo and Kathy Kerfoot, take us on an audio tour of the Vatican where every work of art, building, and liturgical event is a unique expression of Christianity. The center of the Catholic faith teaches while it inspires, but there's a lot to learn. So let's join our tour guides for this week's apologetic adventure. Welcome to today's show, Pathways to Rome, the show that brings Rome home to you. Today I'm in the studio with my co-host Gus, and Father Kirby is joining us all the way from Rome, Italy. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Father. It's good to hear from you again. Father, I have this awesome book in front of me, and it is titled Becoming Father Bob. Uh-oh. <laughs> I hear it's coming out today. I, I think that, that that book is out there, and I am hoping that you have some other guests in the studio for, for us to talk about that book. Absolutely. I do. Father Kirby is one of the authors. I have the other author with us today in the studio. Her name is Peggy Wirtz. She's been in education for the last 35 years, and she is currently the principal at St. Mary Help of Christian School in Aiken. So welcome. Thank you, Kathy. I'm glad to be here. Hey, Gus. Howdy, howdy. Now, this book has just come out, and can you tell us a little bit about the book and what prompted this book? Well, at Christmas 2008, a parishioner sent to the school a donation that was to be used to buy a vocations book for the school library in honor of Father Kirby because he was teaching there and had started the vocations clubs at our school. So that began a several-month-long search to find a children's book about vocations. I looked, and my librarian looked, and I went to the National Conference in California and still couldn't find it. So when I returned from California, I told Father Kirby we needed to sit down and write the book. Wow. I see the spirit working here. Yes. <laughs> it really happened that way. I, I taught seventh grade religion first period. And so after my class, I went into the school office to check my mail. And Peggy walks out of her office and, and updates me on this search, which had taken several months, as she was saying. And Peggy says to me there at the school office, well, we're just going to have to write one. And that was oh, it. Wow. We're just going to have to write one. Uh, and that was kind of the, the beginning of becoming Father Bob. Necessity is the mother of invention. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's one way to do it. That's a great story there. Of course, I thought she was joking. No. <laughs> I thought she was joking about the book. But as she and I met and began to discuss ideas, I think Peggy and I were both surprised that the book really began to write itself. It really did, yes. And I see from reading the book that it is on a third or fourth grade level, which I love because that is just the beginning of what these kids start thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? That's right. And the readability of it is on about a fifth grade level. But the interest level is third to sixth grade level. And we have many, many boys who are just beginning to think about what they want to do. And at this time, they're thinking of police officer or fireman <laughs> or astronaut, but because of our society, I guess we just don't think of a vocation. That's right. This hopefully makes a career of being a priest, yeah. a calling, attractive to young boys, that it is a viable option as a career path for them. And I noticed in the book that the young boy, when he's talking to the priest, he says, tell me about your job or something about along those lines as it being a job. But the vocation is what develops from that. That's right. And that relationship between the boy and the priest 
is a key factor in the boy growing up and seeing the priesthood as as an option for him. And that priest in the story, based upon several people, but the Father Stan in the story was actually a Father Stan in the bishop's life. In our church, we've always had elderly priests. And so I know a lot of young boys can't relate to an older man, except for the instance of it being a grandfather-type figure. So I think it's so nice in the book that this young priest is what inspires the young boys. And that's exactly what I see in my school setting is that the priests who are typically in our parish are older, and our children think of them as grandparent age. And when someone comes in like Father Kirby, who talks about his growing up years and his mistakes and his experiences in going out with girls, all of those things make that person much more normal and reachable to a young boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do notice in the illustration here, and we'll be talking to uh, Alice Judd, the illustrator, a little, a little bit later. I do notice the uh, the picture of the priest there looks remarkably like a, a priest we know who happens to be in Rome right now. And <laughs> I'm I'm really curious, Peggy how how did the collaboration work out between you and Father Kirby? Maybe both of you could touch on that. You, Father, as well. It really was like there was some divine intervention because we began talking about the storyline, and we in South Carolina had a new bishop. And Father Kirby had had a good deal of contact with Bishop Guglielmoni and brought forth the storyline of the bishop's youth and his dog, Mickey, who travels with him around the diocese. (laughs) And so the storyline started developing, and Father Kirby got permission to follow that storyline. And I began doing research, and the manuscript just evolved. I would Mm -hmm. write. We would sit down and look at it together. Father Kirby would tweak it and make sure that theologically it was (laughs) correct, and I would keep the readability level appropriate, and we just exchanged it back and forth. In the book, you have a glossary, and the words underlined Eucharist and Mm -hmm. vocation, talents, and then you can go to the back, and young people can go in the back and see what that is. We hope that it's very useful to parents, but also to catechists, classroom teachers, And that even as children are getting older, they could use the glossary and the sacraments and use it as a reference book. I have to tell you, in the the writing of this book, what really stood out so prominently was the idea of wanting to share a story. And that's the easiest part is is when you have a story. As as Peggy was mentioning, uh, the new bishop had had given permission to, to loosely use his own vocation story to use the persona of his dog, Mickey. And that kind of gave us a basis. And Peggy really brought her expertise and her professionalism in education and pedagogy uh, to that and and really created this beautiful story that uh, I was able to uh, help, as as Peggy was mentioning, in in, in some small ways here and and so on. But really, Peggy brought this story together and her experience with young people for over the last three decades really is seen in this book. It is a beautiful story. It's beautifully illustrated, and this book really belongs in every uh, religion classroom between third and, and perhaps sixth or seventh grade uh, because it tells that story, and it's such a beautiful, simple story. God calls, and a young man answers. Father, I know you, you've you written books. Peggy, have you written other books besides this? No, this was the, wow. first, this was the first book. Huh. I love I children's around. literature, but I've never written one. That's amazing. Do you have any plans to do any others? Uh, we, any thoughts? We, we have a couple more in the works, and... <laughs> 
Um, the next one, we're beginning the thought process on becoming a sister. And oh, so, very good. Yes. And, ah. and then possibly a third one on the vocation of marriage. That's really good. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, 30 years in education and, and writing a book, that's uh, that's exciting. I mean, I know Father Kirby's old hat at writing books now, huh? but this is phenomenal. I know we talked earlier about the vocations club at your school. Have you seen any increase in number of kids joining that? Absolutely. About 75% of our fourth through seventh graders actually come to the vocations club meetings during their lunch break next Thursday. We'll have a monthly meeting, and it will be a relay race evolving around the corporal works of mercy. Oh. Um, so Father Kirby really started the initiative, and the boys and girls are thrilled to come to it. But I'll tell you, the vocations clubs, the idea was there. And if it had not been for a supportive principal and supportive religion faculty, those vocations clubs would never have gotten off the ground. I remember when Peggy and I were first sitting uh, with the pastor at St. Mary's and we were discussing about what we can do to promote vocations and later Peggy and I continued to talk and if Peggy was not on board, if she didn't see that these vocation clubs could help promote awareness of vocations, they wouldn't have happened. And I think this is a powerful sign of what a Catholic school can and should do. This is a small thing in, in some sense. It's a vocations club once a month, one for boys, one for girls an opportunity to explain, first of all, things that we should believe as Christians, corporal works of mercy, the virtues, but also to present that religious life and the priesthood is a part of our way of life as Catholics. And it's possible that some of the young girls are called to religious life and some of the young boys are called to priesthood. And this is just a great way where we see that harmony that should really exist between a parish, between a Catholic school, and between our mission as Christian believers. So Peggy was on board and... Really, those vocations clubs now, up to 80 young students who attend, uh, is a testimony. Catholic yeah. schools can do. Uh, are they voluntary? or I mean, It is all optional. Oh, and, my goodness. Wow. That's the majority awesome. <laughs> of them are skipping their lunch and recess period yeah. and coming to the vocations club meeting with their lunch in their hands. And I'll tell you, the vocations clubs, that kind of just develops into other things. Uh, last summer at St. Mary's, uh, Peggy and I and a few of the religion teachers and some of the folks from the parish was able to host a vocations field day. Can you imagine a field day in, in the summertime <laughs> where young people could come and basically learn about priesthood and religious life and have activities and events, and we had some skits and so on. And we had a nice showing of young people in the summertime to come for a vocations field day. Amazing. In South Carolina, no less. Well, thank you very much, Father. And uh, right now we're going to switch gears and we're going to actually talk to the illustrator, the one who made the uh, pictures and the whole scenes come to life, take the story. We are talking to Alice Judd. She received her Bachelor's of Arts degree in communications with a minor in art. She and her husband have six children, as do Christy and I, and they work also at St. Mary Help of Christians Catholic Church. How did you uh, get into uh, illustration and, and how do you have time for it with uh, with six kids? <laughs> Uh, I've always done art and art projects and used to do um, graphics before I started having children. My youngest now is in preschool, so um, I had a little more freed up time and kind of mentioned to Father that I didn't know what to do with myself now that my kids were all in school and that I wanted to do something with art and I really wanted to do it for God do it for his glory something and that got the wheels turning he will always give you something to do when you ask like that yeah. <laughs> and you know really with alice it was that simple and, and that open 
uh, I remember Peggy and I were, were sitting there talking. We thought, you know, who can we get to, to bring this story alive? Because the, the illustrations are, are so important. And we didn't just want beautiful pictures. We wanted pictures that express the faith of this young man, this Bobby character, in saying yes to the call of the Lord. And we thought, who could we ask? And again, how this book just wrote itself and, and this book project just kind of all came together because both Peggy and I said, it has to be Alice Judd. And Alice had, had already mentioned some desire to, to be more involved in, in ministry and, and to do something with, with her talents. And she's an incredible artist, as, as the illustrations of the book demonstrate. And Peggy approached Alice and, and asked her if she'd be interested and, and was immediately on board and heroically made time to make wow. these illustrations. And the book is beautiful. It is, the absolutely. Book is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love the pictures of the First Holy Communion, of the Confirmation, the sacraments with the stained glass window. And I see you've used watercolor. Is that your favorite choice of medium? No. No? (laughs) Not at all. I usually uh, like to draw with pencil or pen and ink, but I could not get the colors vibrant enough. Mm -hmm. And so then I moved on to watercolor. So this was, I guess, a a new adventure for me. And I came to enjoy working with it. And I, I felt that the colors came alive more than what I could do with pencil. Well, it fits perfectly for third, fourth, fifth grader. It's the perfect medium for this book. When I'm looking at these um, these pictures here, how big are the originals? Because obviously here on the page they're smaller, but when you were painting the, the first communion picture, what were the dimensions? Most of the main pictures of the page would be 8.5 by 11. Well, no, I think it was more like 14 by 14. As you can see in the bottom corner, we have little page turner. Mm-hmm. And those were always smaller, knowing that this would be a small little picture. And this is the story of Mickey the dog. Right. And you can see in the beginning how Mickey is introduced to Bobby and how he comes into the world. And you progress through his relationship with Mickey, and then eventually Mickey got old and had to go. Uh, the way all dogs go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a whole parallel story of uh, of Mickey there, and, and that's right. really clever with the the thing in the corner. Now, have you have you done children's books prior to this? Or? No, this is my first children's so, book. Because I look at that, and that's that seems to be a technique that you see in a lot of children's books with Mickey the dog, and, and lots of little sub stories going on in the bottom right corner. Is you call it a page turner, right where you would turn the page. Age, there's a little little illustration, and that's because I've read a lot of children's yeah, books. Yeah, so so that's, that's, yeah. With six kids, with six wow. kids, you will. Then Mickey was based off of the bishop's real dog, Mickey, mm-hmm. and um, the bishop had sent me pictures, and so I tried to. <laughs> and every good dog sitting there waiting for their for Bobby to come home. Yes, get in tighter. I love this picture here in the book where Bobby is talking to Father Stan about his vocation. And Father does something interesting here where he says, I used to sit in Mass and daydream. Kids don't think that a priest would daydream during Mass. Of course, he was a little boy at the time, but they don't picture them with any faults or any weaknesses. That was important for all of us, that a child could read this and realize that they could be a priest, too, that they don't have to be already a saint and that they can relate and We wanted Bobby to be interested in girls and sports and the things that a normal boy would go through. And so we wanted this to be inviting to a child to open up his heart and to hear God's call, but also to the parents that are reading this to the child. 
that they could see, too, that this is something that they could encourage. And so often you hear parents say that the priest would be wonderful, but not my child, I want grandchildren. And so I think that this is evangelizing to both the children and the families. And also here, for the parents you were talking about, to instruct the parents, put your sons in activities that are spirit-building, altar servers, Boy Scouts. I remember going to a Eagle Scout ceremony once, and the speaker talked of the percentage of young men that are priests today that were Eagle Scouts, and of presidents of the United States that were Eagle Scouts. And I just see, you know, the progression of Bobby's life, the Eagle Scout, the altar server, coming from a devout Catholic family as he was, all those things leading to the vocation. Father, do you have any of those kind of experiences? <laughs> Were you an Eagle Scout or a Boy Scout? I was, actually. I was a, an Eagle Scout. And, and as you're saying, uh, I'm oftentimes amazed in speaking to seminarians and to priests how many of us are Eagle Scouts. And, Kathy, I think what, what you're saying and, and what is illustrated in the book, the importance really, if you want healthy children, particularly spiritually healthy children, then parents have to be very cautious in, in what the children are involved in. For example, altar serving or some type of service to, ch- to the church, which helps the young person to understand the role of faith and allows them to take it a little more seriously. I think also like the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or other programs that are wholesome, and I seek to really pass on a healthy sense, a good sense of character and a character formation. And it's so important, and that is seen throughout this book. Someone could read this book and, and say, well, wow, like, well, Obviously, Bobby's not perfect. Bobby went to college. He had all the experiences of ordinary life. Yet, we could see that this vocation was allowed to develop, was allowed to be discerned and discovered and accepted because of the life that Bobby had received, the formation he received from his parents, from the events and activities he was involved with. We have to be careful because the call from the Lord is a very fragile thing. Mm -hmm. We see that in our own lives every day when the Lord tells us, tell the truth, don't lie, be patient, not impatient. The call of the Lord is, is very quiet and can be easily covered over, forgotten, dismissed, killed. Right. That's true in small things in daily life. That's true even in our high vocation, whether it's priesthood or holy matrimony. That call is very fragile and has to be nurtured. I'm thinking of two boys just off the top of my head from our church. I can still see them as little boys serving at the altar, and I can see their Eagle Scout ceremonies, and they are both discerning the priesthood right now. Oh, that's I was going to say the same thing, Kathy. You know, I have six boys, and three of them are, are altar boys. And the, the great thing about our parish, Prince of Peace, is uh, the, the altar boys just get along, and they're such good friends, and they're always doing things. And when they're out not serving at the altar— they are all boys, I'll tell you that, and that's so important. That that struck me in one of the pictures here where I, where I saw the altar boys, and, and that is important. I think boys have got to be boys, and, and that's illustrated beautifully in this book here. Uh, good job there, Alice. Thank you. <laughs> what I love about Alice's work, and maybe Alice wouldn't say this, so I'm, I'm going to brag a little bit. What I love about Alice's work is, is beautiful. It's beautiful art, but it's also a beautiful expression of faith. And I really think that that's the spirit. It surrounds what Peggy has written. It's surrounding what Alice has created. That this is a work of faith, of great hope, that God calls and his followers can respond. Respond generously 
And that's the power of this book. And I was just so grateful when, when Alice jumped on board and was able to make the illustrations. And I think anyone who sees this book is just going to be so just overwhelmed and blown away by its beauty, beauty artistically and also this beauty of faith. Uh, she, she's beaming now, too. She's... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> uh, I, I could, I could really tell. Sweet. I could tell, and it's uh, what I think is really sweet is the fact that all of you were together there, so you all knew each other. Father, you didn't have to go far afield to, to find a great artist, and you didn't have to fi- go far afield to find a great collaborator. So it's, it's wonderful that this is a South Carolina product of South Carolina Catholics. Uh, I'm very impressed with that because I remember our previous uh, bishop, you know, really stressing. To the boys, you know, you don't leave here. We want you here to become priests here in this diocese. And, and I think this will be a very powerful tool. And I think, uh, obviously, it's it's the, the Holy Spirit's been working. Well, I think what is powerful, too, is, as, as you're saying, Gus, and, and Kathy, what you're pointing out in the different illustrations, is that this is a grassroots effort. You know, we, we talked earlier in the show about the vocations clubs. We talked about this field day that was held. We're talking now, more importantly, about this book. But all of these were local efforts. You know, Peggy Wirtz, a woman called the Holy Matrimony, who is living that vocation, who is a, a wife and mother who has given her life to the education and formation of children. Alice Judd, called the Holy Matrimony, who is living her vocation with six children and is taking that seriously as a vocation, myself called the Holy Orders. The grace of our attempts to live our vocations are what is able to allow this book to happen, all of these efforts to happen. And this is really what we're all called to do. None of this is extraordinary. It shouldn't be extraordinary. There should be ordinary things that the Christian faith will do regularly. This is what we're called to. And I think that we all kind of need to hear that call again and kind of remind ourselves, wake up a little bit. The scriptures say, awake, O sleeper, to wake up a little bit and say, well, what can I do? Our listeners who are Catholic faithful in their parishes the Lord is calling you to do something. What is it? And do it. <laughs> Each of us is called. We have to be people of prayer, and we have to be people of ministry. And that's the real challenge, I think. I know Kathy, again, a wife and mother, called the Holy Matrimony. Gus, a husband and father, called the Holy Matrimony. Certainly, this call you see in your own life. Kathy, you do phenomenal work with apologetics and young people. Gus, you work with youth and confirmation programs and so on. Certainly, I think you can hear this call and, and understand your own ministry and discipleship. Well, I think, Father, when you were talking about those ordinary things, we do the ordinary things if we just say yes, but then God takes those things and does extraordinary things with them. Mm-hmm. I remember that uh, Mother Teresa used to say, uh, do ordinary things with great love. If this is ordinary, it's obviously done with a lot of love, I can tell here. That's right. You know, and the wisdom of the saints always teaches us that person who goes out and says, you know, I'm, I'm going to convert the world. Well, they end up not converting the world, and they end up losing their soul. But the person who says, I'm going to save my soul, not only do they save their soul, but then God is able to use them as an instrument of grace and peace, and they end up even contributing to the salvation of the world. And so sometimes we see all these grand things and these huge programs and so on, and, and no, no, what am I called to do today? to be patient to this person at my work, to show an act of kindness to my spouse or to a member of my family, to be kind to the person who has no one to befriend them. I mean, it's these ordinary things. Kathy, as you were saying, Gus, you're quoting Mother Teresa, it's these ordinary things that allow us to be instruments for God to do extraordinary things. And I know that 
Alice and Peggy, and we've exchanged emails about this. We all pray that this book will be an ordinary means that God can do something extraordinary, even extraordinary enough to have a young man read this book in years from now say yes to the priesthood. Where do we get this book, Peggy, Alice, and Father? Where, where is it available? It, it just recently came out. Well, actually, Gus, we want to let everybody know that you can go to uh, Signo Press, S-I-G-N-O-P-E-R-E-S-S, SignoPress.com, and there there's information on the book. And actually, Signo Press is giving free shipping and handling for Becoming Father Bob. So we want to uh, encourage people, please, you know, Check out the website. Take a look. If your children are adults, get some for your grandchildren or future grandchildren. People who are in parishes, think about buying some for your Catholic school or your CCD class. This isn't about selling a book. If it was, we would be doing far different programs. This is about getting a message out and getting a message out here in South Carolina that God is calling. We as a church have to promote an environment of generosity so that if a young man is called, he feels the support to hear that call and to respond yes, say yes to it. So I'd say signalpress.com, uh, check it out. And you can see that beautiful work of Alice and the wonderful story that, that Peggy's written. The one tragedy that we're doing this on radio is they can't see the book. <laughs> We've been talking about it. Uh, Gus, does a particular page jump out? from the book. I mean, it's all beautiful, but there's a particular well, page. Yes, the one where Father Bob is giving First Holy Communion, all, all I can say is that really, really reminds me of you. It's definitely a, a good rendition of a priest, and all I can think of is this is this is Father Kirby. <laughs> oh, no. Poor character. <laughs> what do you no. mean? No, 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 no. It's, it's beautiful, though. For me, it's the same picture, too, because I love the stained glass picture of Mary behind there. But I do like the rendition of you, Father, very much. But I also think it would make a great First Communion gift for a young man. I'll tell you one of my favorite parts is when Bobby is in college and he's driving and you see Mickey hanging out of the window and Mickey's tongue is just flying in the wind. Uh, that, that's just such a, a great scene in the life of Bobby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, I see it. And Alice, I, I'm so grateful you put the dog's tongue on there. That's, that's just great. <laughs> that was inspired uh, I, I, by my dog, actually. <laughs> I, know, I know who's going to love this. Our, our priest, Monsignor Brovi, has a dog, Benedict, and he is very big into dogs. And I know he's going to love this because he totally relates to our bishop and, and his dog. Alice, was there a particular scene in the life of Bobby that, in your creation of, of these illustrations that stood out? I particularly enjoyed the the sacraments. I enjoyed so much trying to, as you said, I tried to create feeling that God was present. And um, also I enjoyed uh, hiding in there little sentimental things from um, St. Mary's or things that were special to me, the First Holy Communion one. The stained glass of Mary, I tried to dedicate that picture, that page to Mary, and I would pray as I would draw and paint. So that one was something that was very dear to me, that page, because I felt that I was there with Mary as I created that. I think anyone who looks at this book can see the reality of what you've just shared as far as dedicating the page to Our Lady and, and allowing prayer to be a part of your work. This becomes so apparent to anyone who looks at this. And I just encourage our listeners, please visit signopress.com and give this book a look. So, S-I-G-N-O-P-R-E-S-S.com. I'm just saying a little more clearly, and we really want to thank these ladies. I know you had a little bit of a tough time uh, getting here today, and, and thank you for all the sacrifices you put in. 
And you have been listening to Pathways to Rome. We've been discussing Becoming Father Bob, Father Kirby's new book in joint collaboration with Peggy Wirtz and Alice Judd. This is phenomenal. You're listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrics Radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. If you would like to listen to this show again or previous broadcast of Pathways to Rome, visit our website, www.catholicradionsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. Put the power of video to work for you. Whether it's a short marketing presentation or an hour-long training video, turn to the Emmy Award-winning experts at Extreme Vision Studios. Present your message clearly and concisely. Video allows you to produce your image and gives you a professional look that shines. Call Extreme Vision Studios today for a free consultation. The number is 864-590-9970. That number again is 864-590-9970. Extreme Vision Studios, proud sponsor of South Carolina Catholic Radio. Polydex Screen Corporation, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, was founded in Spartanburg in 1978 to manufacture and market modular synthetic screen media in North America, serving the gold, copper, phosphate, and aggregate industries. Polydex strives to honor God in all they do. Their phone number is 864-579-4594. They're also on the web at www.polydexscreen.com. St. Anthony's Catholic Store, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, offers books on apologetics, spirituality, theology, and church history to assist adults and children in their faith formation. They also provide sacred vessels, vestments, and hand-carved statuary to parishes and maintain an inventory of baptismal, communion, confirmation, and wedding gifts. For more information about this family-owned business located at 443C Congaree Road near Haywood Mall, John or Judy can be reached at 864-288-0335. Thomas McAfee Funeral Home, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, has been serving the community since 1913. Offering personalized funeral and cremation services, they're committed to serving you and your family with dignity and respect. This family-owned business can be reached at their downtown chapel at 232-6733, or their Northwest Chapel at 294-6415, and they're on the web at www.thomasmcafee.com. AKJ Consulting, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, in cooperation with New Way Properties, utilizes years of experience to assist people in finding and acquiring affordable housing in the upstate. They also have a program to assist those in danger of going into foreclosure. For more information, David Case can be reached at 864-430-4877. That's 864-430-4877. 
There's a new way to get rid of an old car, truck, or gas guzzler. No matter what condition it is in, Catholic Charities will pick it up at home, office, or repair shop and handle all of the paperwork. Catholic Charities is a 501c3 not-for-profit entity associated with the Diocese of Charleston. For more information, Catholic Charities can be reached at 877-885-4483. That's 877-885-GIVE. Or reach them on the web at www.supportcatholiccharities.org. Priest for Life organizes a monthly rosary led by a priest or deacon of the Diocese of Charleston every third Saturday in each month. Members from local parishes gather to pray the rosary from 8 to 9 a.m. at the West Ashley Abortion Facility located at 1312 Ashley River Road. That's at the corner of Highway 61 and Fusler in Charleston. For further information, Stephen Boyle can be reached at 843-763-0681. In these challenging economic times, our taxes are probably going up. In Matthew 22, Jesus says to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So is it enough to be resigned and pay our taxes while giving our hearts to God? The real question is, how can we give to Caesar in such a way that transforms society for the good of the kingdom? What can we do with our resources and the taxes we pay to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and serve the least of our brothers that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25? Since after all, it's not our money. I'm Joe Galloway. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. And now we return to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Welcome back to Pathways to Rome. In this segment, we're going to be talking with two young seminarians, one just about to finish the seminary and become a priest, and another who is just about ready to start. And so I'd like to introduce both of them to you now. Here in the studio, we have Andrew Frimmel, who is going to begin seminary in the fall. And in Rome with Father Kirby, we have David Nurbin. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks. What we want to do in this segment is find out a little bit about your story, about how you were called to the priesthood. So would you like to start, Andrew, and tell us a little bit about your story? It was a pretty gradual start, especially to the seminary and most possibly the priesthood. I started more so my sophomore year in high school. I mean, the Lord just began to do small, I guess I like to call them signs, that, you know, during Mass or during different readings, I would read in the Gospel or things like that. Different things would jump out at me, like, I'm calling you, do not be afraid, be my disciple, and things like that. And it would just kind of catch me by surprise sometimes, and I didn't think much of it. And then going into my junior year, I would take it a little bit more seriously, and I really started considering the priesthood as a possible um, vocation or an occupation. And I began looking at vocational websites, vocational podcasts I started listening to. I started going to confession more often, more so to talk to the priest, also loving to be forgiven for my sins, but also to get a little guidance. And I started to really see that the Lord 
possibly may be calling me, and I started to be a little bit scared, truthfully, because <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm 15, I'm 16 years old, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely petrified that the Lord's calling me to the priesthood. But I started to look at a lot of saints, younger saints, like St. Therese of Lisieux, oh, wow. and how, you know, being 13, 14 years old, and seeing how that she went in as a sister, and and I started asking more signs, because I was really questioning what God was doing with my life then, and how he... I began really growing in my faith, but I was still really trying to push God away, and I was asking sign after sign after sign. Mm. You know, I'm just going to tell one story that just kind of puts it all in the picture. I know it's not a coincidence that Father Kirby's in this program, but one of the big stepping points with me really going towards the seminary was at junior high CLI a year and a half ago, and I was an altar server for him. And the Mass, you know, went fine through the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. After we finished passing out the Eucharist and the, the Holy Blood, I brought the two chalices into the side kitchen area, and I went back out to receive the patent and the purificator. Mm-hmm. And usually the purificator is on top of it because the host is usually a little bit of it still on there. But he actually put it on the underneath side. I don't know if Father Kirby remembers that. And so I grabbed it with four fingers, and I went back into the side room. And when I was trying to put it down, like, I stopped in time, and my body froze for about five or six seconds or something like that. And I had this supernatural experience that I can't explain to any of you guys wow. because it's obviously supernatural, and it's it's hard to put into words. And I felt as if I was on the altar holding up the Eucharist in the wow. air, holding up the host. At the end of the five seconds, I kind of got out of that zone. And in my head, I don't know if it was God or myself, but the words, this could be you one day. You know, I put the patent down and I kind of freaked out. And I'm like, I'm in mass and this just happened. So I composed myself and went back out. And I guess this was the last big sign that the Lord gave me because I kept on asking him and asking him for more signs. And then this was the kind of the big sign that Lord's like, okay, did you get enough already? Do you you get the picture? (laughs) And after that, I told God, that I'll give him one year in the seminary. I knew I was going to going to college this after my senior year. And so I told God, after two years of college, after four years getting my degree, whenever it is, just give me the thumbs up and I'll go for you. <laughs> it happens to be after two years of college that I'm going to be entering seminary in the fall at Seton Hall. But essentially it was a gradual tug at my heart that the Lord kept on, you know, pushing mm. me in different ways. It started off real small with different signs through the Gospels and through sermons and things like that. And then it gradually moved to people talking to me more about it, you know, that I didn't even know sometimes. And then the Lord really started pushing more signs, you know, giving that example of the supernatural experience that, you know, I can barely explain. But it was a gradual tug in my heart. And now I'm going to be entering the seminary next year. And I'm very blessed to be in this position. Maybe maybe called the priesthood, but I'm definitely called to go in the seminary next year. Well, so. and definitely go test it out. I have a question for you. I have six boys and three okay. of them are altar boys. I'm curious, how long were you an altar boy? Well, I quit altar serving. <laughs> that sounds bad, but I stopped altar serving, I think, around eighth grade. I definitely stopped altar serving before mm-hmm. high school, mm-hmm. but I put a good two or three years into altar serving. Nice. But truthfully, I got to the point that I was embarrassed of altar serving so much because I was growing up, I was getting to high school, right. I was trying to be cool, yep. and, you know, the younger guys could take a hold of the altar serving. So looking back into it, you know, I probably shouldn't have quit, but, you know, peer pressure does wonders. So <laughs> I, I wonder about That's that, too. But I'm very happy that, that the boys at our church are very, very tight. But I, I can see that being a thing, it being mm. an issue, you know. David, uh, is your story similar to that of Andrew's? Uh, well, I, I think my story is a little different. I mean, everybody has their own story. 
I, I wouldn't say I had any any lightning bolts or rather out of this world uh, supernatural experiences. But my, my vocation story really begins around fifth grade. I was uh, being homeschooled uh, for two years because I had been diagnosed with a, a reading disability and uh, my parents wanted to spend more time with me. So within that year of homeschooling, that first year, I uh, started going to Eucharistic Adoration on Wednesdays with my mom at uh, St. Jude Parish in, in Sumter, South Carolina. It was really kind of a bribe. Um, <laughs> she said that uh, I went with her and, and I prayed the rosary with her and, and sat there quietly while, while she finished her prayers that she'd take me out to Central Park, this burger joint there. <laughs> and, Good. And so these burgers are so amazing. Every time I go to something now, I still go there. <laughs> So that was what dragged me there. And I remember one day, I don't think it was one particular day, but it's rather over, gradually over time, I began to realize that God was calling me to. I just kind of heard this voice interiorly. It wasn't like somebody whispering in my ear, but just interiorly, I, I knew that the Lord was calling me to be a priest. And beginning to have thought about girls and being and going through adolescence at the time I, and knowing that the priests were celibate man that they didn't get married uh, I kind of revolted from that I said whoa 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 slow down here uh, that's not exactly up my alleyway but you know he kept on calling you know internally there I really really struggled with that you know as, as Andrew was talking about in high school the the calling just you know began to progress so I began to rationalize with God. I said, you know, uh, Lord, why don't you just call me to be a deacon? Why don't we just go to halfway? You know, I'll serve you and your people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's not exactly what was up his alleyway. You know, the old saying that when you uh, try to strike a deal with God, you know, he uh, laughs because, you know, he's going to get his way. You know, he's already predetermined for us whatever vocation that he's called us to. That's the way that we're going to be most fulfilled, most happy. It's taken me the past five years of, of uh, seminary to really realize that. But, uh, you know, I left high school and I went into college, kind of did my own thing. I was practicing the faith. I was very in involved with the faith and going to daily mass often. Um, but I was also caught in, in the party scene and at the same time. But I was studying civil engineering, became a research assistant, doing a lot of research, uh, got opportunities to even travel the world for research with earthquake science in, in Japan. Uh, also did some material research as well, but in the midst of all that, I just kind of realized as much as I enjoyed civil engineering, that there was still like an empty spot there. And uh, I kind of realized that with all the particular girls that I dated with each relationship, you know, oftentimes I got out of them because I continued to hear this voice of the Lord calling me. You know, I didn't have the courage at the time, and oftentimes, you know, well, I ended up getting into another relationship thinking, well, maybe he's changed his mind. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess the, the kind of the breaking point for me, the, the turning point, the first one was meeting John Paul II in 2003. It was my second time to Rome, but my first time where I actually got to go up to his uh, private chapel for Mass one day with two of my friends from college. It wasn't anything that in particular that he said to me, but the way he looked at me so intensely, I knew, you know, the relationship I was in at the time was I shouldn't be in it, and I knew I was was called to be a priest. So I, I really, really sat and struggled with that. It took me another another two years after that to to get the courage. But on his burial day, uh, you know, when the Pope died back in 2005, his burial day, I was I was kind of in a moment of crisis, you know. And I was debating what to do after college because I was a senior. I just remember being there in uh, Adoration Catholic U, telling John Paul, a person that had meant so much to me, you know, he was an athlete, he was 
intellectual. Um, he could have done anything with his life, and uh, I wanted to do something for him. And I was like, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it for you. I'll give you a year. You know, kind of as Andrew said, I'll, I'll give you a year, Lord. <laughs> That was the day I decided, you know, I'm going to go through with this. I'm going to pursue this. So right after that, I began uh, my application process. And uh, th- that fall, I began up at the Josephinum College in uh, Columbus, Ohio, which was, was very hard. It was very difficult. But It sounds like both of you kind of wrestled with it, like Jacob wrestling with the angel in the Old Testament. To me, that's a good sign. A lot of people don't like to talk about but The forces of evil are, are very prevalent within our culture today. You know, we're so, we're so bombarded with sex and materialism and consumerism that it just makes it so difficult for us to discern, to be honest with ourselves. How did you get to Rome? When uh, I first was talking to Bishop Baker about the possibility of entering the seminary, you know, he, he asked me, well, where would you like to study? And I said, well, I hear, I hear Rome's a great place to be. <laughs> um, and he said, well, you know, I'm going to send you to uh, the Josephinum first, but, you know, we can, we can talk about that later. That was basically, you know, the, the beginning of it. I had to do a year and a half of pre-theology first, and then um, I, my second semester, I had finished early because I had some philosophy credits from Catholic U. I went down and taught at Bishop England High School for wow. a semester, and it was in that time which really reconfirmed my vocation for me, that he asked me, he said, you can take another year, you know, of discernment, you know, and continue teaching here, or you can go to Rome. After having been in the high school for a couple months and kind of realizing how awesome it was to be there and to be able to teach, I realized, too, that my ministry with the youth there was limited because I I didn't have holy orders. I wasn't a priest yet. So I knew um, as much as I loved being there that uh, it was time to get back into formation and get serious again. Now, how long did you keep this to yourself before you made it public? As a teenager, my dad praying for vocations every day, and uh, I would get pretty mad some days because I knew I was struggling with this interiorly, and I knew I had a vocation, and every time the idea was brought up, I was just kind of you know, rebellious towards it. And uh, we had a lot of priest friends in our family as well, and religious. And my older sister is actually a nun as well, too. Wow. So, um, okay. Pressure. It, <laughs> uh, this was this was not unheard of as a possibility for me. You know, mm-hmm. some people had kind of pointed me in the direction that way. I see. So, uh, you know, I didn't talk about it, and I wasn't really all that verbal about it until college when I was able to get away from my family and, and to kind of be on my own, kind of test and make sure that, you know, this wasn't something I was doing because other people thought that it was a good thing for me, but it was something that I wanted to do and felt called to. We saw Andrew uh, nodding his head a lot while you were talking. Uh, What what are your thoughts on all this, uh, Andrew? You seem to be agreeing with it. Oh, definitely. During high school, my parents didn't know any of this. I think my mom might have had an inkling towards it, but I never vocally told my mother or father anything about this. It was always to a priest or a couple of my close friends. Um, I was definitely really struggling with the idea of, you know, not having a wife or children or waking up Christmas morning, you know, being able to kiss my wife and having kids jump on my bed and, you know, open presents. But it was only until college when I went to the vocations retreat my freshman year for the diocese that I really came to know that the Lord may be calling me. And Deacon Cahill said some wise words to me, and he said, look, take this next month, totally focus all your prayer on your vocation. And after a month, if there's a lot of peace in your heart, then definitely pursue the application process. After a month, if there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of questioning, then maybe you should take a couple more years, discern, get your undergrad in business, and then come back. And after that month, 
there was an abnormal amount of peace in my heart. And so, you know, that coming July, then I went and I started the application process um, with Father Harrison, had an interview with him. But essentially, during high school, I kept a lot of it to myself and to a couple of my other friends. Only until the end of my freshman year of college, then I opened up to my parents, which was actually one of the toughest things <laughs> that I have ever done. It was a real struggle and a lot of prayer and courage that the Lord gave me to be able to open up with my parents because I was afraid of, you know, some kind of rejection from my parents. Lord willing, they're very supportive now and mm-hmm. um, very Because blessed. I've known Andrew since he was 10 years oh. old, and I didn't find out until maybe six weeks ago (laughs) when his mom called me and said, you'll be getting a letter from the diocese asking you to let a recommendation for Andrew. And I was like, what? And that was my first question to her. I said, how did your husband take it? And she said, great, you know. David, Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but I actually did about six months with the Missionaries of Charity Fathers in Tijuana. I met Mother Teresa, so I was actually contemplating the priesthood. And I gave six months. I didn't know how long I was going to give. But, Andrew, you mentioned being at peace, and I was not at peace there. One of the priests there said, you're in turmoil. You shouldn't leave. But I just remember after praying intensely, there was a very strong sense of peace saying, I'm not called to this. So, like, you had the sense of peace. I think peace is a very strong sign Mm -hmm. of you're you're in the right spot because without peace, it's not the voice of God. Just a note of consolation to both of you as far as celibacy. We've joked about this before, but just remember, the married man gives up all women but one. Okay? And you guys give up all women, but we give up all women but one. Okay, the, another way that I look at it, even though I really struggled in high school, I've come to, to the point now of looking at celibacy as truly a blessing, and I'm not a priest, and I understand that priests could explain it a lot better, but the way I look with celibacy, as a priest, you're going to put all your time into your parish, all the time into your parishioners and things like that, and going out and visiting the sick, and you know, with the family and things like that, you put a lot of time into your wife and to your children. The realistic side of things, you're going to be able to put a lot more time into serving the church and to serving the people. And I'm sure the Lord blesses priests extra special because being celibate definitely requires you to have a strong prayer life and a strong holy lifestyle that you have to stay committed to. And so even though the society tells us that it's not going to be great, I'm sure that the Lord will bless us in many ways that I can't even explain right now. I believe that. All all joking aside, I mean, I remember reading Archbishop Fulton Sheen saying a priest does not repress his sexuality. He elevates it and there's energy there that has to be converted. It's not repressed. And a lot of people mm-hmm. think, oh, you're repressing it. No, you're you're directing it wholeheartedly to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, David, this is your last year of seminary, I understand. So tell me what happens from here. Will you be ordained in Rome or will you come home to be ordained? It's kind of complicated because studying in Rome, it tends to be a five-year program. So um, at the end of this year, I'll, I'll be finishing my bachelor's, my what's called the STB, and I'll come home in July, and my tentative ordination date is July 16th down in St. Joseph's Parish, my home parish, with uh, the two others from the diocese, Bill Hearn and um, Matt Gray. So that will be my diaconate ordination. Our priestly ordination won't be till the following year. Typically, you have you know a year in between, and you, you know, canon law says at least six months um, unless you're dispensed of that. But you usually have a year just to get more comfortable being on the altar, but really to also learn how to be you know, a servant because that's what you're being ordained as a deacon to be. Thank you, David. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, hey, Father Kirby, uh, what do you have to say about all this? Well, I just have to say praise God. 
any Christian believer who knows that God has a providential plan for each person and that we are each called as disciples to say yes, I think that's the only an initial response we all have to make is, is just praise God. Thanks be to God for David's openness to hear the call for Andrew, for the other 13 uh, young men who are studying for the Diocese of Charleston, for men in all the seminaries and all the dioceses who have heard that call. And as they were saying, today's movements and, and cultural trends do not encourage uh, openness uh, to calls from God, do not encourage selfless giving and, and total surrender, uh, particularly to God. And yet, in the midst of all this, all these cultural trends, this pressure, uh, this negligence, really, of God's call, uh, we see these men being called and saying yes. And, and it's exciting. You've heard Andrew's story, you've heard David's story, and, and everyone has their own unique, powerful story of how God has spoken to them and how God has used even our brokenness and our neglect, our avoidance, <laughs> to draw us closer back to Him. And that's just a beautiful uh, example of God's goodness, and, and yeah, just praise God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Father, I understand you have a new job description. Has it begun now, or does it begin when you come back to the States in June? Yeah, well, that's right, Kathy. Uh, some of our listeners might have heard as well that uh, Bishop Guillemoni of Charleston has named me the new vicar for vocations, mm-hmm. which means two of my main responsibilities will be to recruit and promote vocations among young men in South Carolina and help them to hear God's call and, and say yes. And in the pastoral care of our seminarians who are in seminary have said yes and are now in active formation uh, for the priesthood. And those responsibilities actually began on February 15th. So uh, even now, I'll be exercising that, obviously in collaboration with a lot of good folks back home, in particular the Vicar General of the Diocese and the deacon who runs the vocations office. So uh, definitely a team working together. Uh, But already we've begun to look at uh, other aspects of of formation. And Yeah, I'm thrown right in, so we're having fun. (laughs) I used to live in Detroit, and they had a big uh, campaign uh, there. You'd see billboards, and they'd say, we want to collar a few good men and oh, stuff good. like that. But I, I'm just wondering, in your opinion, do advertising campaigns work, or do we wait for for someone to experience something while being an altar server? Or What is your opinion about advertising? It? Well, I think advertising certainly can work uh, as a complement to something else. Uh, obviously, we see in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus that he called one-on-one, that he spoke to each heart, there was an encounter, there was an opportunity for discipleship. So I think that even today, with all of our technology, all of our advertisement, all of our communications, still that communication is something that is very intimate and very one-on-one. So I think you know the young man who he begins to hear that call and, and begins to learn Christian virtue and desire for holiness in the family, that's where it begins, and is nurtured in that by a community of faith in, in their parish, and then in service, according to their age, you know, on the altar, to the poor, and as they grow and begin to understand what prayer and our cooperation with grace means and what our opportunities are as Christian believers. I think that all of that has to happen. And so sometimes these programs, they have their place, but really they, they hold more of a complementarity with other more substantial encounters uh, or opportunities to respond to the Lord's call. How about programs like the evangelization team that we have here in the Diocese of Charleston? How have you seen that develop a growth of vocations? Well, actually, you know, Kathy, just from the diocesan evangelization team, what is commonly called E-team, from that group alone, I know of at least two young women who have joined the convent. And now Andrew, of course, who 
uh, was a part of that E-team. So I think that programs like that can be hugely helpful. You know, and I think also parish-based programs, youth group or, or with service to uh, the poor or those who have a special need, can be huge. Obviously, each person is going to be attracted to a particular aspect of service, whether it's Christian formation or service to the poor or more explicit evangelization. And I love watching those E-team kids do their yeah. skits and oh, yeah. they run the retreats and, and they're just so full of zeal and love for the Lord, you know? Mm-hmm. And as, that can definitely be a program. But I think, you know, depending on the person, there could be other programs as well. Um, but that's definitely in, in the right direction. The thing is, is helping a young person find their place in the church where yes. they can serve and be Christ and begin to experience what it means to be an instrument of grace and peace in our world. And once that happens, watch out. That's really when the Holy Spirit is able to begin to work. Well, Father, this has all been very interesting, and and I know the most important thing that we can do is to continue to keep praying for vocations and to keep praying that these young men and women will quiet down enough in their lives to hear the Lord calling them. And we also want to ask our listeners to join with us and pray for vocations. Absolutely. If I can especially ask that, uh, first of all, just as a fellow believer as a priest and and now I guess holding this vicar for vocation to especially ask all Christian believers and especially our fellow Catholics have the fullness of the Christian faith uh, to pray and sacrifice as you're saying Kathy uh, for these young men for their perseverance and that other young men will hear the call that young women will hear the call to religious life and wherever the Lord might call us holy matrimony holy orders single for the Lord that each of us will have the generosity and the fortitude to just say yes that's huge. Amen. Well, Father, you, you definitely got my prayers. And we'll add you to our nightly rosary list here, Father. And with that, we have come to the end of our show. And Father, would you please give us your blessing? The Lord be with you. And, and also, also with, with you. you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrics Radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. For more information about this show, or if you would like to listen to previous broadcasts, visit our website, www.catholicradioinsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. The Catholic Shop, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, has baptismal, communion, confirmation, and wedding gifts, and offers books on apologetics, spirituality, theology, and church history to assist adults and children in their faith formation. They also provide sacred vessels, vestments, and Italian hand-carved statuary to parishes. For more information about this family-owned business, located at 180 North Dean Street, Suite 103 in downtown Spartanburg, John or Judy can be reached at 864-585-2667. 
Polydextrine Corporation, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, was founded in Spartanburg in 1978 to manufacture and market modular synthetic screen media in North America, serving the gold, copper, phosphate, and aggregate industries Polydex strives to honor God in all they do. Their phone number is 864-579-4594. They're also on the web at www.polydexscreen.com. 